everyone, and welcome to The Rundown. I will be your host today, Craig Deleuze, coming at you from the West Coast, the Left Coast, behind the Iron Curtain, otherwise known as the Sierras. And as you all know, I do not do this program by myself, but today we have a special guest, and I'll go ahead and I'll let him introduce himself. I'm Paul Lathrop. I'm the Deputy Director of New Media for the Second Amendment Foundation. Not quite as look good-looking as your normal co-host. <laughs> no, definitely not quite as good looking. At least your background definitely isn't uh, isn't as nice looking as uh, as Mr. Pivoworski's. But uh, you know that that would that would take adding a lot of bourbon. Yeah, well, I'm I'm not a rich man, and and, and Mr. Pivoworski <laughs> is. So you know, <laughs> I'm not sure he would resemble that remark. <laughs> Before we get started, Paul, why don't you go ahead and, uh, I'm, I'm sure a number of our folks already know who you are, but why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience? I, uh, a little over 10 years ago, I started a tiny little itty bitty podcast called Politics and Guns. A couple of years after it started, it morphed into what is now the Polite Society podcast, and I soldiered on with that until October of 2020 when I got hired on as part of the Second Amendment Foundation. And as part of Second Amendment Foundation, they requested I start a new podcast and new video broadcast called The Bullet. Uh, the, the Bullet is a Monday through Friday broadcast. It happens at 5 p.m. Central Time, about an hour from now. And each day, uh, Monday through Friday, I bring on a different co-host and we talk about the Second Amendment news of the day. And then on Saturday, I bring on a bunch of people. We talk about all the stories of the week. And that happens at noon central time on Saturday. So I went from uh, once a week talking about whatever the heck I wanted to talk about, mostly gun related, to talking about news every day and being hip deep in it all day long. And, you know, what's not to like about that? Oh, dude, it, it's a lot of fun. So uh, every other Tuesday, uh, that's where you'll find me. I'll be on there. It's like as soon as I log off from here, I'm logging on with Paul and, and uh, getting ready to do a little bit of show prep. And then we're on uh, at an hour following. So it's a great one to punch. So if you want to watch us uh, here on the rundown and then watch, uh, then watch the bullet uh, where you'll get all guns. You know, we, we, they talk about all gun policy. We talk about some gun policy and conservative mm -hmm. news. So uh, just so you know, just so that everyone's clear, the, the views expressed by Paul today are those of Paul and not necessarily uh, the, the, the folks he works for over at the bullet. Yeah, the SAF <laughs> was nice enough to hire me, but I don't go lockstep with Alan Gottlieb on everything, just on almost everything. Well, we, I mean, I, there's nobody I go lockstep with on everything. You know, there's people I tell them that to, that pri well, actually primarily my wife. That's, that's who I tell. I, I'm in 100% lockstep with my wife uh, when she asks. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> 
But yeah, folks, so hey, uh, do me a favor. Make sure if you haven't already done so, please make sure to subscribe. Uh, whether you're watching us on Facebook or watching us on YouTube, make sure you subscribe right now. And by the way, share it. Encourage your friends, encourage your friends to watch as well. Whether you're watching us on Opslands or on Spotify, uh, you can also uh, listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can find the rundown. We run, once again, we run Monday through Friday. So check it out. Like, share, subscribe. Like, share, subscribe. Uh, encourage your friends to do the same. And as Mike would say, if he were here, pass us around. All right, so with that, sir, we're going to go ahead and we're going to get into today's news. Uh, at the top of the news story today, and honestly, this is a story that we, I, I, because of everything that's been going on with the Supreme Court, uh, we've been pushing this item a, a few times. But this is, uh, I don't know why this is not front page news. Uh, why? Let me clarify. I have a reason why I believe it is not front page news, uh, but we'll talk a little bit about that as we go forward. Uh, you may or may not be aware, but right now there is a major crisis uh, amongst our law enforcement officers. In fact, uh, there was a study that was done that the the number of police officers that have been that have died in the line of duty in the last year rose fifty nine percent, fifty nine percent, and that's by the way that's year over year. I mean, there have been a number of years where these those numbers have gone up significantly. Now, mind you, and, and I'm sure that, uh, that Paul will, 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 will probably agree with me, uh, this is in a day and age where law enforcement has become very, very difficult, where budgets are being, have been cut, where laws are being passed, and, uh, and people who run cities and counties who hire these law enforcement officers are literally throwing them under the bus and asking them to go do their jobs with one hand tied behind their back. Uh, and now, come to find out... Uh, they are major targets of of violence. I mean, how does how does one do their job in in in, in light of that? Well, and, and I, I'm not a police apologist, however, I do have several friends that are police officers and have for a number of years had friends that are police officers. Uh, a little bit about police officers when Let's face it, when most of us interact with a police officer, we're not having the best day. Uh, and and police officers, by the very job they do, they generally, because of the job they do, interact with the worst the society has to offer. They interact with the lawbreakers more than they interact with your average Joe. Your average Joe doesn't need to interact with a police officer very often at all. If you obey the law, you generally don't interact with police often at all. And so they, they interact with the dregs of society. And then when the people who are elected to represent us say it's a police problem, it's a police problem, and are pandering to those who break the law and for example, start letting out violent criminals because, oh my goodness, we can't have them catching COVID. So we better let them out on uh, on society and let them loose to do what they were doing before they got sent to prison. We shouldn't be shocked when they go after cops and a whole lot of police get killed in the process. And the ones that are still around say, this job just isn't for me anymore. Well, you, and you know, Paul, the thing is, is that a lot of these officers 
they were targeted. These are not just like in the random, in the middle of, of doing their jobs. In many cases, these were officers who were sought out, who were either lured in through a call uh, or were, were on break or were just sitting somewhere and people went up and attempted to kill them, right? So these, these officers are now targets. And by the way, that leads to a whole nother issue. And this is why I didn't just, I didn't just title a story about you know, the, the percentage of, of the number of, of increase of law enforcement officers that are dying. But there is a real challenge facing facing police. They are quitting in huge numbers. Here, this piece right here over at the Ripon Society, one of the things they note here is that uh, in 16 cities, 16 cities broke homicide records. But, that in, but then in places like New York, you have 5,300 NYPD uniform officers have resigned or retired, a 75% spike over the previous year. Minneapolis, you had 105 officers. Seattle, 180. Uh, uh, and, and in, what's it mean? 180 in 2020, and then 170 in 2021. Chicago, 660 retired in 2020 and they don't tell you how many retired and i mean 2021 they don't tell how many uh, uh retired the year before but that's nearly twice as many as just a few years before oakland pd once again 86 officers breaking records in 2021 and the and the pace right now in 2022 it's even worse um but think about it uh these are folks these are individuals who are in a situation where uh, if they, if they go and they do their job, right, they put at risk, not just their life as we, as we saw at, at the, from the first post, but they're putting their, their livelihood, their future, because here's the deal. If you get, if they say, well, you did something that violated, the, uh, that violated the policy, or they just want to make an example of you you'll get fired and you will lose your pension. So your future could be gone. And that's on top of being potentially liable uh, for a lawsuit as they're looking to get rid of qualified immunity. I mean, Paul, this, and at the same time, and then for each and every one of us, for every officer that's not out there, that's one less person that is potentially going to be there when we need them to, to help us the most. This, these are first responders that will not be there or be available. You're absolutely right. And <clears throat> let's uh, let's be very, very clear about this. These officers are being pushed out. They're not necessarily going away uh, of their own volition. The, the, when you join the police department, there's there's a sort of a brotherhood of we've got your back. And that has absolutely gone away in places like Minneapolis, in places like Oakland, Los Angeles. If if a something happens, if somebody dies of an overdose after you put cuffs on them, your life is done as you know it. And the city will not back you up under any circumstances. You're just done. Uh, that's That's the way it is for law enforcement now. And so I don't, I don't blame any of these officers for walking away. I, I'm my governor. I live in South Dakota. For those of you who don't know me, my governor, Christy Nome has put out a call nationwide 
for law enforcement officers. We have openings here in South Dakota. If you want to come work we're so, somewhere where law enforcement still means something, come to South Dakota. We'll open you. We'll welcome you with open arms. I applaud her for doing that. Um, and and I really wish that that in some of these liberally controlled cities that law and order and law enforcement still meant something to them. It, it would be nice. It would most definitely be nice. But it doesn't. And uh, I well, and, and the worst part is, is that the people who oftentimes the communities that need policing the most are going to be getting it the least. Uh, and they're literally going to be left to, by the way, the very same criminals uh, that the very same politicians are allowing out on the streets. Uh, and they're making and the very same and, politicians oh, by the way, are disarming the, the yes, general that, public as well. Yes. You, <laughs> yes. You, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. The very people that they're seeking to disarm at the same time. So what the, here's the deal. So folks, what they're saying is we're getting rid of the cops. We're going to make sure that they can't do their jobs. Even the ones that want to do their jobs, we're going to make sure they can't. Uh, and then we're going to release criminals out on the streets. And when you decide you want to go and be able to defend yourself, nope, we're going to make sure you can't. And that, that dar is how the cookie crumbles. <laughs> All right, let's move on to welcome our next Welcome to Argentina, story. boys and girls. Right, welcome, to our, welcome to La Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving right along. Um, you know, it, it, it's, um, it's an amazing thing when you start to notice that uh, things that were considered uh, fake news not too long ago or a year, year and a half ago, all of a sudden we're starting to see the mainstream media catch up to what is actually going on in the world. And uh, I, I have to tell you the number of times that I have been surprised, shocked when I've seen stuff out of various different mainstream media outlets. And this one, uh, this one also definitely got me. Uh, this is the New York Times. And in their morning newsletter, and their, their, their newsletter, The Morning, uh, they, know, they, talk about, uh, they talk about the shutting down of schools. Basically, when we shut down schools because of COVID. And they're noting uh, it was not good for learning. Now, mind you, we knew this years ago. We could tell this a long time ago that, that basically distance learning... Uh, was not working. And the worst part is, is that it was hurting the students who needed quality education the most. Uh, I could tell you from personal experience, I sit on a school board. When they shut down our schools, my first question was, okay, at first I was like, okay, well, I kind of get it because we don't know what we don't know. But by the mid beginning of the summertime, we had already had like a couple of months of contact, contact tracing. We should have already known who's getting it, who's getting it, where they're getting it, who's getting really sick, winding up in the hospital, and who's dying. So we knew who was at risk, and we knew what the risky behaviors were, and we should have been able to determine whether or not going to school was risky. So when in June, they started talking about, well, we need to consider, you know, where we're not going to open the schools in the fall. I'm like, well, okay, well, where's, I asked both our county and our state. Where, okay, so what data are you using to support these decisions? Paul, they would give us no data, zero data. But when we looked at the data, the external data, right, in, in places where schools either didn't close or they closed and reopened, they found that schools were not, uh, they were not a vector. That in fact, it was the safest public place for children to be, for anyone 
to be. That was the data that was available. But yet they wouldn't, they, they, they kept the schools shut down. And it's been estimated, uh, and it's noted in this piece, that students lost up to two and a half years of education, right? So they've eliminated standardized testing because they're like, well, you know, we can't, it wouldn't really be fair to test them. I'm like, no, we need to test them because we need to know where they are so we know how much we screwed up. I don't know. I'm just how much they need to catch up. Yes. Right. Exactly. How much they need to catch up. Um, I'm let me just say this. I'm not I'm not against the idea of distance distance learning in general, but it has to be something that everybody agrees is gonna work. So there are like charter schools that do it that do distance learning. Uh there are, are homeschool programs that focus on distance learning, but there you have you have an education system devised and created for distance learning. You have both a parent and a student parents and students who are committed to doing whatever it is they need to do in order to make distance learning work. Uh, in this case, you just had a bunch of people who we we're just throwing everybody into distance learning and we don't care if you, oh, by the way, you have people who trained and developed a system of it. We just threw people into it. And then we're surprised. Oh my God, we're shocked that it didn't work. And by the way, Paul, the, the wealthy, like our governor, they sent their kids to private schools where they could mm -hmm. still meet in person. And let's, uh, I want to, some anecdotes from my local area. The, the students that were most successful were those with two parent households where one parent was able to stay home. In other words, wealthier families or more well-to-do families and where they could be set in one place and things like uh, distractions like pets and things like that were moved away so they could concentrate just on learning uh, in, in, in places where in, in situations where both parents worked uh, I've heard from uh, teachers where Look, the students, once they shut down school, the students were just never heard from again until it was time to come back into school in person. And then sometimes they heard from the kid again. Sometimes the kids just disappeared and they had to go trade. They, they had to send uh, spend school resources to trace down where that family went. Um, the, the whole shutting down the schools debacle. And, and, and I honestly believe that's what it was nationwide was a debacle. We lost hundreds of thousands of children's education to that. Now check this out. Now this is, this is something that I think it just, once again, really kind of gets on my nerves. Now you watch this, look at this. So you had, these are low poverty schools, mid poverty schools, and then high poverty schools. So look who got hurt the worst. The students who likely needed, needed to be in class the most were these folks. Now, mind you, Paul, this was not based on any science. Even when mm -hmm. the school, even when it, I mean, this was not based on any science. This was literally just the teachers unions and their political influence that forced large districts to close. And then, and, and, but, ugh, this was all about, the and then what was worse was, they held up schools for more money 
and as soon as they got their money, then they were back open. Schools were back open for business. Paul, it is. Anyway, what, but what bugs me is, is that this is a conversation we should have been had, having in the fall of 2020. Because we knew this. We, all, we knew all this stuff. And yet and still, we kept the schools closed all throughout the fall of 2020. We opened them up only partway uh, in uh, the spring of, of 2021. I, I just, I, I, I am beside myself with anger and frustration. And, you know, it, yes, okay, it's great and wonderful and nice that, uh, that, uh, uh, that the New York Times has finally come around. But it didn't need to take you this long. If you just hadn't been so anti-Donald Trump, if you just hadn't been so anti-Republican, you might have been able to take a moment to see. And, you know, here's the thing, Paul, and this is, what, this is where the frustration comes in, is the left tends to focus on intent, the intent of the person implementing the policy, or let me clarify, the perceived intent, what they believe the intent is. And Republicans mm-hmm. tend to focus, or conservatives tend to focus on the results. What does the data tell us? And the, the, the reason why that's a problem is, is because you had Republicans who were trying to keep schools open, well, in their eyes, Republicans are bad and evil. And teachers unions are good and noble. So the teachers unions must be right And the conservatives or the Republicans must be wrong and evil. So we're going to keep the schools closed. And what we see now when we look in hindsight is, yeah, keeping the schools closed was a bad idea, especially when we know based on the study coming out of uh, John Hopkins that it only actually reduced uh, the the mortality by what? 2.9%. Yeah. Um, The other thing I want to bring up is you, you, you earlier you mentioned that there there are distance learning that are based on and built around there are, there are distance learning setups you know that are that were designed that way. Public schools never have been. The vast majority of teachers uh, teaching in public schools were trained and have spent their entire careers around in classroom learning to immediately make a jump to a distance learning. Uh, hello, PowerPoint, and uh, raise your hand if you've sat through a PowerPoint presentation that, oh my God, I'm never getting back that 45 minutes of my life again. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? All right, hey, let's jump to our next uh, education uh, education topic. Uh, and let's talk about student loans real quick. Um, I, I'm trying to figure out exactly what attorneys general have to do with the idea of uh, student loans, but apparently they think they do. Uh, you had a group of eight uh, blue state attorneys general. Uh, you know, probably know this lady. She's the one that's uh, going after the NRA and going after Trump. Uh, but she was leading the way with a bunch of attorneys general, blue state attorneys general, saying Biden must cancel federal student loan debt for each and every borrower right each and every borrower and they say now is not the time for half measures um i'm just gonna let you paul i'm gonna let you go ahead and riff on this one because i i i have a good idea of how you feel about this all right uh to start with 
really simple. And I'm, I'm going to take Mike Rose. I'm going to steal this directly from Mike Rowe. Uh, I, I, you know, the, a different one came to mind. I'm sorry. I'm going to steal this from Elon Musk. A 18-year-old can take out $100,000 worth of student loan debt, but can't take out a $10,000 business loan. We're, we're emphasizing the wrong darn thing. Um, to go directly to student loan debt, the, you, these loan, this, this, this college is meant so you can get a higher paying job. You go into it knowing that you are going to have to pay it back. You, I'm, I'm assuming just like when I go to buy a car or go to put a mortgage on a house, you sign papers knowing you're when this is all done, you're going to have to pay everything back. Um, look, at, at some point, you have to be able to, you're a smart person, you're going to college, right? Um, $100,000 in debt is a big number. It takes big payments to pay those back. If you aren't going to get an entry-level job with six figures coming out of college, you probably shouldn't be taking an education that's going to be six figures in loans. Right. Uh, I, I'm like this. I'm a big believer in staying out of debt. Uh, to give you an example, my son graduated from UC Santa Barbara with almost no debt. And he worked, he worked his butt off. He, he, you know, and he lived in Santa Barbara, which is expensive, but he lived in a two bedroom place with four other guys. <laughs> he, I mean, he, I, I, I gotta say he got his hustle on, uh, mm -hmm. most of the debt that, that he accumulated was during his freshman year where he's kind of feeling himself out. And then, uh, his senior year, he took a semester and went and studied abroad and so obviously wasn't going to be able to work while he did that. But for the most part, I mean, he worked his butt off and, you know, he made the sacrifice. And, uh, you know, so I'm like, I always tell people, if you want to go to college and graduate with little to no debt, you can do that. You just have to, number one, realize, okay, maybe, you know, Stanford or Harvard is not going to be the place where you're going to, where you're going to wind up going. All right. Uh, you, you may also realize that maybe you're going to go to community college first because, and they do a great job of articulation between, between, and matter of fact, with, with universities, matter of fact, a lot of top universities, they have a, a program where if you have a certain GPA in community college, you get automatically accepted into the, into the university. So it's a great inexpensive way. So you can graduate without a bunch of student loan debt. I, I did, I graduated from, from college. Uh, with very little debt, paid it off within a few years. Um, I did not go to graduate school because I didn't want to amass a bunch of debt. But I know people. I know people who went and got multiple master's degrees, went to work on their doctorate. Now they're a house. Uh, a house they, owe, they owe about as much as they would owe on a house, right, on, on their student loans. And by the way, they're making a lot more money than I am, and they want their student loan debts forgiven? Please. Folks, only about 8% of all student loan debt are to low-income students. Overwhelming majority is to upper-middle-class and high-income students. So this, folks, is a transfer of wealth because the people, yes, the people who are making the money, the, the tax, those taxpayers, they're the ones that are going to wind up paying for this. So, yeah, no, sorry, no, no. And all the people who are crying for it, Probably because they're those people who took out those student loan debts. 
and they want it forgiven. So they're all, wonder, you know, all those, all those uh, people running those nonprofits and, you know, making a couple of hundred, making six figures and working in the media. They're the ones that are the problem. I wonder if Letitia James still owes some on her college. She's not, she's not a, uh, you know, she's not a, a very advanced age. I wonder if she might have some sitting around yet. Well, probably some law school debt, huh? Yeah. Wouldn't surprise me one bit. Wouldn't surprise me one bit. All right, let's move on. What? Say, is she a Harvard grad? That's (laughs) a cheap school. I do not know. All right, moving right along. SCOTUS legitimacy. So now we're seeing a whole bunch of people in the mainstream media uh, on on the left who are out there, and they are literally going after the idea, the questioning, the legitimacy of the Supreme Court based on what they saw or based on this, the, the decision here, I'm going to go ahead and play some of this, play some of this video for you, so you can get an idea of some of the things that they're saying. Supreme Court will overturn Roe versus Wade. Apparently, they decided masks aren't mandatory, but Mother's Day is. And honestly, at this point, I think we're all right to question the legitimacy of the court. We need to be talking about the legitimacy of the court itself. What does this story mean for the Supreme Court? Well, I mean, for the Supreme Court, in a word, illegitimacy. Americans will rightly conclude that their voices and their votes no longer matter. Are these people really a bunch of politicians in robes? It really is insane that Supreme Court justices can just lie in their job interview without any repercussions. Decisions about what you can do with your body are now being made by four old dudes and a woman who thinks The Handmaid's Tale is a rom-com. If you have any reservations about the system's capacity to deliver justice, they have just been affirmed. All unwanted children should be allowed to live at the Supreme Court building with those justices and they should raise every one of those babies. This all started because of this electoral college. All right, so let's let let's just kind of lay that out real quick. Um, so first of all, because they didn't get the decision that they wanted, now all of a sudden the Supreme Court is illegitimate. Um, no, your voice doesn't matter when it comes to the Supreme Court. What matters is the Constitution and the law. Mm-hmm. Am, am, am I wrong? You're absolutely right. I, I just. I, I just that that's what gets me is, is it, it's this is not a majority this is this is not a popularity contest this is what does the law say about this particular issue and well about what what is the what does the constitution say about this and then you look at precedent you know it's kind of funny because they they talk about this as though well it's 50 years of precedent well, there, there's a couple of issues. Number one, it's not the first decision to be uh, overturned. Can someone say Dred Scott? Uh, it's not the first time it's been. And part of that is because, well, things change. Information changes. And last I checked, scientifically, uh, we were not nearly as advanced in 1973 as we are today. We've learned a thing or two. Yeah. Um, I, I, now I will say this, I, I, while I consider, while I am pro-life, I do believe that people can be on either side of this issue and be reasonable. Mm-hmm. I've always raised a question as to whether or not the, the, the right to an abortion the, or an abortion rises to the level 
of a constitutionally protected right. I mean, it was something that literally legal scholars have said. They literally pulled this out of nowhere um, and then called it precedent. Um, what I like, what I really like about this is, is that we can now start to have these discussions publicly. It's not settled law. We can now start to talk about the science. When does life begin? And start to think about whether or not reasonable restrictions to abortion should, whether or not they should exist. I absolutely agree. I, uh, let me do this for just one second. I want to be absolutely clear. I'm speaking on behalf of Paul Lathrop and Paul Lathrop only. Um, I'm not speaking on behalf of SAF or anybody else. I personally think that there should be very, very tight limits on abortion. I do not want abortion to go away totally. Um, my daughter was raped. And despite what some people think, yes, you can get pregnant when you're raped. My daughter did. I, in no way could I ever say to my daughter, I believe in life. I believe that you should have to raise that, have that child continue to grow, that symbol of hate continue to grow in you for nine months. You're going to have to live with that hate and be a victim for nine more months and carry that child to term i can't hate my daughter that much there have to be reasons why in certain circumstances abortion needs to be allowed well you know and, and here's the thing in understanding understanding that first of all in most of the cases and they talk about the 25 or 26 states where there are going to be abortion restrictions overwhelmingly the only real restriction is going to be uh, late-term abortions or past the first 15 weeks. Uh, right. In most of those cases, an overwhelming percentage of those cases, there are exceptions for the case of rape or to protect the life of the mother. Uh, but these mm -hmm. are all things being ignored by the mainstream media. Um, and by the way, just so you know, rape, incest, and to protect the life of the mother represent about 6% of all abortions. Right. Mm -hmm. That so that's uh, a, a vast a, majority are for convenience, and I don't yeah. like those at all. Right. And and that's even that's even those in the first 15 weeks. And you know, I my my point is though, is that they make exceptions in most of these cases, most of these bills for that. But we should be having this conversation instead of just saying, nope, nope, nope. Constitution says my body, my my body, my right. Well, the, the one thing that makes this law different, that makes this issue different is this. There's another life that is involved here, and it's a child. And it's a child that doesn't have the, the ability to speak for themselves. And what I appreciate about this decision is, is that it took that into consideration. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, past Supreme Courts, those uh, who basically were activist courses, courts, decided not to take that into account. And I think partially the science helps us to see that yeah, no, it is a life and it begins earlier than we think. Or at least the line, as gray as it may be, the line has moved a little closer to conception uh, than birth. And, and the other thing this thing I think this thing has revealed is there are some people who want to fight for things like, I mean, 
they believe that infanticide should be an okay thing. I mean, they don't say it publicly, but they push the laws that would make the taking of a life of a, of a born child. Now, I'm not saying everybody who's, who's pro-choice believes that. In fact, most people who are pro-choice don't believe that. Um, but I think that we ought to be able to have this discussion instead of treating someone who disagrees with us like they are evil and the enemy. How about we listen to their argument and then we make reasonable arguments and we try to arrive at a place where uh, we can develop some public policy that at least makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Moving right along. Reasonable, we're people, move- can, yeah. reasonable people can come to reasonable decisions. Yeah, and unfortunately, when it comes to politics, there are not many people. <laughs> Reasonable is not a thing <laughs> in, pol- in political circles. All right, as we're coming up near the end of the show, you know it's time for our parting shot. And well, you know, given that Mike is not here, um, you know, I would have loved to have done, I was going to do this one with Mike because, you know, he's got all the bourbon. I'm sure he's got a bottle or two of tequila up there for Cinco de Mayo. I just want to, you know, for those of you who do not know and keep saying that, uh, that is uh, that Cinco de Mayo is a celebration of uh, Mexican independence. It's not. It is literally a recognition of a single battle that took place. And thus that leads to uh, this particular uh, meme. Uh, for those of you who are listening, it's a meme of a gentleman standing there talking to a lady and saying, I am not above using obscure Mexican battles to justify my drinking. I resemble that remark. <laughs> I will admit to having enjoyed a cerveza or two on Cinco de Mayo myself. Oh, yeah. And you know what I love about it, man, is it is a recognition that, you know, as much as people want to say, oh, well, America's racist, America's racist, and they it's, it's white focused. But you know what? Here's the thing. it We have seen various parts of cultures from other countries become ingrained in the american culture and Cinco de Mayo is just i mean it's a small taste a small taste but so much of latino culture of 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 black culture of uh asian culture uh you name it i mean asian api asian pacific islander culture so much of it is over over time becoming a part of not just not just that that group's part of being america but all America is celebrating it. And I think that's a, a, a great place to be. And I just hope we can continue celebrating without being say, without somebody saying, you're culturally appropriating Mexicans when you drink on Cinco de Mayo. No, I am culturally appropriating a cerveza. <laughs> of course, I don't know if that's culturally or orally. <laughs> there you go. I'm a pro- Only appropriating a cerveza. (laughs) All right. Hey, just one more time. Let the folks know where they can, uh, where they can watch you. We will be live in about 25 minutes over on the polite society podcast, Facebook and YouTube page. And over if if you're watching this on ops lens, we'll be live there in about 25 minutes. Excellent folks. Hey, you guys take care. Uh, very much enjoy, 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 by the way, by the way, if you're going to drink, drink responsibly, uh, don't drink and drive, call yourself an Uber or a Lyft or call a friend who uh, is not partaking, but be safe. And we will see you tomorrow on Freedback Friday. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thank you. See you, everybody.